0: The Telegraph.
1: Telegraph. Podcasts.
2: The Telegraph Total Football Podcast.
0: In association with Line Trust. Specialist fund managers.
3: Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Total Football. We are still reeling from an enormously eventful Champions League final, which featured tragedy, comedy, comic tragedy and an overhead kick goal nearly as good as Trevor Sinclair's. On this episode, we will ask, are this Real Madrid side one of the greatest ever? Why does Jurgen Klopp keep losing in cup finals? And would it all have been very different if it wasn't for that meddling Sergio Ramos? We'll talk to a Liverpool legend for his take on a big balls up from Loris Carius in a game in which his manager had nearly requested big balls. Plus, the press conference debut of a new Arsenal head coach. Julian Bennett will give us his verdict on the very early days of Unai Emery and whether he's the man to bring lasting happiness to North London and the Gunnosaurus Rex. But first, back here in the Telegraph's audio recording facility, I'm delighted to say we're joined by the European football expert and friend of the podcast, it's Mina Razuki. Mina, how are you?
2: I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm
3: fine. Yeah, I'm still really trying to process what happened in the Champions League on Saturday night. It It was so eventful, there's so much to get into. We'll start on a slightly sad note. On Mo Salah, there's conflicting reports, as we record on Sunday, that his shoulder is dislocated or it might just be sprained ligaments. He may or may not be available for the World Cup. But uh, I don't know about you, Mina, but I just want these matches to be as high quality as possible. How disappointed were you to see him go off injured?
2: Really disappointed. To be honest, there were three disappointing things for me. Mo Salah being taken off, Danny Carvajal being taken off and... Karius' performance. I know, know that sounds crazy. I mean, we all like seeing sometimes like a little bit of madness from a from a goalkeeper if you're on the opposing end. But you sort of just want the game to be won through really good quality football rather than circumstance. You don't want it to be, OK, well, Real Madrid have the edge because Moussa has been taken off. He's the best player that Liverpool have. He's the guy on even just a mental level. You just saw Firmino die a little bit after that, you know, because it's was just like, I, I lost my buddy. I lost the guy that I worked so well with. Sergio is coming in, carrying the team on his shoulders. And you want to just see a match that's played at the very top level with all the best players, no red cards, no huge blunders, just genuinely great football.
3: Despite the injury, Liverpool kind of held their own in the first half, even without Salah on the pitch. How different do you think the game would have been had he been playing for all 90 minutes?
2: The thing is, is that it's Madrid, and for some reason, you can be the world's greatest team. You can have the most amazing performance, and they just find a way. I was I was sitting there doing um, my own podcast, and, um, you won't and mention it by now. No, no, we shan't, we shan't. And I was with a, with actually with a Spanish journalist, and um, it was just after Juventus had lost in the second match at the Bernabeu. And we, I mean, it was going into 90 minutes now and 3-0 up. It was going to go into full-time thinking. And then they just turned around, apparently, in the press conference and the press box, the Spaniards, the journalists, and thought, we've got this. And I was like, what do you mean you've got this? Like, this this, this is like, there's no way that anything is going to happen. And lo and behold, they have this innate confidence that when it comes to crunch time, they have enough Ability as a unit, as well as individuals doing something special to always win the match. So I don't know. Salah is certainly caused them a lot of problems because then they have to watch out for three. The the performance of Marcelo will obviously diminish because he has to focus on being a little bit more cautious, as will Sergio Ramos. Um, And there was going to be different things happening, obviously, when you have Salah on the pitch. But at the same time, I just feel like Madrid always find a way.
3: What about Ramos? Do you think there was anything intentional in the way that he brought Salah down for for the moment which caused his shoulder injury?
2: It's interesting with Sergio Ramos because I think you really want him on your team. Like if there was one player I really want on my team, it's always going to be Sergio Ramos. He does things that you do and you're taught from a young age, especially European football, which is first 20 minutes, cause as much damage as you can so that the striker from, you know, your opponent will never come through your lanes again. And it works so effectively against Juventus because as you notice, Paulo Dybala never went through the middle. The guy was going out of his way to go down the wing, to go like anywhere but through Sergio Ramos. And it worked perfectly because they just didn't know how to create anything in Turin. And uh, you saw Lewandowski struggle. He was scared. He looked genuinely scared of Ramos and was trying to avoid him. Not really going centrally. Not you're just a little bit tight. Like you, you don't know what this guy can do. At the end of the he's day, he's
3: such a master of the dark arts. He though, is isn't he, a Ramos? Master the master. the elbow on Carrius before the before the first error yeah. for the first goal as well. He's,
2: he's just remind you that he's there. You know, just just uh, just watch out for me. I don't think he's ever intentional about what he does. I don't think that he. as in I know he he knows what he wants. Not
3: the elbow on Carrius. I'm mean, incredulous. You don't think that that was. Uh, <laughs> I think he definitely
2: wants to. Say, tell you that I'm here what I mean to say is not intentional when he wants to like he wants to hurt you he just doesn't want you to be taken off in a stretcher
3: uh, I guess not so different to what we see in the English game very traditionally like an early reducer maybe a kind of you know little yeah. kick on the back of the calf or just something
2: welcome to the match you know like maybe stay away I think that he would have been a little bit heartbroken hearing what happened to Mo Salah afterwards especially if he does indeed miss the World Cup which we hopefully and more we are optimistic about that not happening but other than that I think that he just wanted to tell him listen don't don't come through my lane, just watch out. And then obviously that happened. And I'm sure there's a part of him that's like, yes, I got the best player off the pitch. But I'm sure like hearing afterwards, that must be a little bit heartbreaking.
3: goes down as another final defeat for Jurgen Klopp, of course, is six in a row now. Why do you think it is that his teams keep falling short in these big games?
2: Because at the end of the day, I'm one of those old traditional people that everyone was like, oh, I'm so excited to watch Liverpool Real Madrid. It's going to be a good show of attacking football. And I just think... If you don't have balance, you don't you don't necessarily have a great chance at doing this. And I think that he is firstly, he has never had this tremendous bench. He's always had a really great plan A, a really great first eleven. And I think having to be, you know, relying on a bench to try to change things up, to try to change the way that the flow of the match, um, at least on a tactical level, has been a little bit hard for him. He hasn't really been in charge of teams that have had a, a Neymar on the sidelines, you know. Um that's one thing and secondly he doesn't possess that much of a balance so really the planning has got to work otherwise what are you going to do?
3: The defence pretty good though I thought on Saturday They were night. very one good of, One of the best performances I think they've put in as a unit Did, did anyone particularly impress you for Liverpool?
2: Actually the fullbacks really impressed me I, I this is going to sound so crazy but I uh, we we watch it's the same group of us that have watched the Champions League finals since we were 15 years old and it's just banter a lot of like arguments sometimes there are tears I won't deny it Um <laughs> It's a lot of Real Madrid fans in that little group. Uh, and I'm a Juve fan, so just imagine last year. And um, we were talking about, and I was like, listen, if you're going to defeat us, y- you know, you better manage it against Robertson and Trent Alexander. Like, come on. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is why I was like, look at that defence. Like, it, you know, don't sit there and tell me that you're the best in the world if you, if you can't overcome them. And then they played and they looked at us and they were like, these guys are really good. And I was like, they are, and they have proved that in the Premier League. They've been good. I just didn't expect that performance in such a high-profile match with so many spectators, with, you know, just the pressure, knowing Salah's been taken off. You think is going to come alive, but really, they were fantastic. But Sergio Mane... He just knows how to carry a team forward. And every time he had the ball, you know that he's got superior technical ability to most. You know that he, he has pace and he can do something special. But it's also that he thinks so quickly. And that is one thing. When he has the ball, his reaction time is so quick that you're always scared when he has it. You always think he's going to do something really special. And, God, if there was one player I'd love on my team.
3: Along with Sergio Ramos, you're building <laughs> of a... Of course, I'm building a nice team. little team. <laughs> There's a lot of talk about Real Madrid not being one of the all-time great teams for some reason. Do you think we're still underrating them slightly? You can't argue yeah. with three in a row, can you?
2: No, I, I do think. It, I think it's really mean, actually, the way that we, I mean. Let's let's be honest. I'm not a fan of them considering the way that we went out, and they have been somewhat lucky with a lot of uh, their opportunities against Bayern last season, against Juventus this season, uh, and they have been outplayed by PSG, by Bayern, by Juve at certain points, even by Liverpool. But for this is the beauty of the side is that I know it sounds crazy, but it's that they don't have a style. It's that they have these great individuals that make a tremendous unit that all sacrifice for the team. They have a great spine and they're versatile. You have no idea how they're going to play. You don't know whether they're going to go and move through the middle.
3: That's credit to Sedan, right?
2: This is what it is. I I think that Sedan just doesn't get that. Everyone just thinks he all he does is manage egos. But if that was true, then Barcelona would have won 14,000 in a row as well because, you know, like, let's be honest, their team just is better than anyone else's. And PSG would have done something really special too. It's not just about managing egos. It's about knowing how to get, you know, Everyone working together as a unit, but at the same time, individuals come to play at the big moments. You know, Gareth Bale, how are you going to do that? You know, like that's just incredible. But it's also, you know, you don't know when Asensio is going to come on and Vasquez are going to come on and and create width or whether they're going to go through the middle or whether Modric and and Cruz are going to just dominate the midfield so that they have possession or that they're going to counterattack. You don't know what you're up against. They are so versatile and I think they are so largely disrespected because unlike... Ajax or Barcelona or Milan under, you know, Rigosaki, they don't have a particular style, but that's what I love about them the most is I think that being able to just always win with having this arrogance and confidence is really rather magnificent. A,
3: a proper team as well, such a turnaround from the Galacticos era where it did seem to be this really dysfunctional group of enormous <laughs> stars, to have to have brought it back to I mean, they still have you go through that team and it's an enormously impressive eleven, but they do seem there's something very coherent about them.
2: Yeah, That's exactly what it is. And people just say, oh, you know, all that money and all those great stars. And you just think about it. And they've really not done anything in the transfer market. They've just relied on on players that they've bought in the past and on trying to find balance. And they've actually just sold stars, to be honest. You know, they let go of Alvaro Morata, which we all know, James Rodriguez, who had a great season at Bayern. And it's interesting because everyone's was like, oh, well, aren't you going to upgrade Keylor Navas? And Zidane would say, well, he's actually really important for the dressing room, not just on the pitch. And He's created this...
3: He got he got mugged off, though, didn't he, in that header thing with Marcelo's kid. He was waiting for it right at the end to give it back to him, and they just missed him out completely.
2: I know. But what do you think of them? Do you like Madrid, or do you just think, you know, they're never going to be a Barcelona?
3: Well, I've got a mistrust of super aesthetic football, and I agree with you that there's something uh, pleasing and traditional and grand old European about a team who wins in the way they do. And I think as well, they don't get... There's a difference between a team that has a lot of the ball and plays it about in beautiful triangles in the middle and a team that just really works very well. And all the cogs in that system function so beautifully, especially in midfield. I think that was ultimately one of the big reasons why they, they came out as winners against Liverpool. Is just that you look at the class in the middle there Modric and, and Tony Kroos. Uh, they're just spectacular players. And they're, they're, as you say, they would. Uh, They'd probably join uh, Mina's Dream Team wouldn't they both of those
2: <laughs> yeah oh god well, 100% especially quotes. but it was interesting because we were talking as well about how much like everyone keeps calling them masters of the dark arts and they were so lucky to get there and, and perhaps you know lucky in terms of refereeing opportunities and one of them pointed out you know well let's let's look at barcelona's history in this competition they've also had many opportunities and many things go their way but we seem to be more forgiving of them because they play pretty football so is this all that it is nowadays that we're just forgiving of tides or we don't we don't mind as long as it's pretty. But if a team wins and it's nothing fantastic, then let's just criticise them as much as possible.
3: They've got some work to do in the marketing department for sure <laughs> this summer. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and Gareth Bale both hinting afterwards that they might be off. Ronaldo said, uh, "Note the past tense. In the next few days, I'll give an answer to the fans. It was beautiful to be at Real Madrid." It's quite a quiet night for him in the end in Kiev but where could he possibly go though next season which is going to match his ambition and his ego?
2: I don't think he'd win with United. I know that sounds crazy. I just I'm not that confident of Jose Mourinho at the moment. So I wouldn't You'd
3: get him tracking back, wouldn't it? <laughs>
2: At this point, he might just be De Gea's replacement. You don't know what this guy's <laughs> going to do with him.
3: Losing his place to the team to Scott McTominay, I suspect.
2: <laughs> Pogba's may or may not play. I don't I, I don't see him going back to the Premier League because I don't know which team he'd go to. I don't think he'd do it with, with United and obviously I don't think he'd join any other. I honestly think that if I was him, I'd either go to Bayern or Juventus because all that's missing juventus keep reaching finals and missing the key man or a great like leader that can just guide them through because they have such mental fragility when it comes to a final could juve afford him i think juve can afford him it depends though he'll have to oh well, if he wants like 43 million then probably not if he'd have to really cut down to maybe just 10 million <laughs> I don't know if that can happen but if you're looking for wh- how, what better way to respond to all your critics than say I've won the Champions League with United and I've won the Premier League I've won uh, the, the Spanish everything in Spain Champions League galore as well as you know domestic competitions and now I've moved to another league and just done exactly that
3: Yeah, the Pep Guardiola of playing football, possibly. Bale as well said, I need to be playing week in, week out, and that hasn't happened this season for one reason or another. I have to sit down in the summer and discuss my future with my agent and take it from here. Will Real fans tolerate losing Bale and Ronaldo in the same summer?
2: Weirdly enough, I do think so, yes. Um, It depends on obviously who is coming in. If you if you're bringing in the likes of Hazard and then Neymar next season, I think they'll be more than okay with it. I think Bale has every right to say what he said after the press conference. He also has to understand that they have a team that has Lucas Vazquez and Marco Asensio who have just done tremendous things all season, as well as in, in Europe as well as in Spain. So sadly, he hasn't done enough to warrant that. But at the same time, he has every right to ask that questions after that performance. Ronaldo didn't have the right to come out and make it all about him in the press conference and uh, and that's what people keep making it seem like you know they're both you know they both had their opportunities to do something pretty bad but I was like no Bale has every right to ask these questions Ronaldo had no right to take the the star and the and the glitz and the glamour away from Bale and away from Zidane who have just achieved a, a, a tremendous things on a night where he didn't do as much.
3: All his teammates, Ronaldo, always talk about how he's a brilliant teammate and he's a brilliant friend <laughs> and he's very unselfish. He is a good do guy. Think, do you think they're just scared of him?
2: No, I do think, look, that I do think he's a good guy. And if you are down and you are feeling miserable, he's actually really good at making you feel a lot better. That's what a lot of them say. He's really good at riling you up, making you feel like this is your moment. Just look at what he did for the Portuguese national team when he couldn't play in the final how to, how he was trying to get guys to take the penalties he was like, look, this could be your moment he's very good at motivating them he just, as long as you understand he's boss, you know but I'm just thinking, if you don't have an ego are you really the best? like, are we trying to say that Messi isn't really like that? or that all these other players before them the beckenbauer's the Bagios, whatever they they didn't have that sort of ego about them
3: they didn't have Instagram I think that's the big difference <laughs> One of many Liverpool fans paying close attention to Saturday night's game was Telegraph Sport columnist Jamie Carragher, who joins us now. Jamie, obviously a hugely disappointing night for Liverpool. How long will it take the players involved to get over this match?
1: Oh, it'll, t- it'll take a while. It may even uh, maybe enter into the uh, the World Cup for some of them who will, will be involved in the summer. And remember in 2007, how long it took me to... Uh, get over the defeat in that game. I've never watched that game back or just any highlights from two thousand and seven. It's just too painful when you lose the, the biggest game in in club football. And I'm I'm a, I'm in a pretty bad way today. How I feel, really. So you know, God knows how the players feel, especially you know the goalkeeper. It's not a nice position to be in. But you know, you can't forget what have uh, you know the run you've been on, the great nights that we've had.
3: Does the manner of the defeat change how you process it as a player, Jamie? Is it better sometimes to be soundly beaten by a clearly superior team?
1: Real Madrid were the better team, you can't deny that, but the actual goals that they conceded will be the biggest thing. It wasn't like our goalkeeper was massively overweight or Real Madrid missed lots of big chances or really stuff like that or really carved us open. I mean we we've seen one absolute stunning goal and and obviously it's a bit of a nightmare for, for the goalkeeper, unfortunately. Really no one wants to see a player go through something like that. But that would be the disappointing thing, really. It didn't seem in the first half. There wasn't many chances, really. And Liverpool actually defended quite well. And, and I wouldn't say nullified Remager, that It was difficult to stop them playing in the midfield areas. But they weren't giving away too many chances.
2: Jamie, what do you think going forward? Do you think that your Liverpool should be quite confident in how far they can get next season? And what are the things that you would say they really need to change in order to make sure that something like that doesn't happen if they do reach the final again?
1: Oh, yeah, listen, Liverpool have had a, a, a great season. Uh, or I'd say a very good season, not a great season. I'd say a very good season in terms of, you know, qualifying for the Champions League again and getting to a Champions League final and some of the nights and games, you've had atmospheres, the go to KF has... You know something like you probably won't remember right now, but in a few weeks' time, you will look back at the Man City game, going to Porto, Roma, the scenes of the supporters. So it has been a very good season. Going forward, I certainly think the midfield area needs looking at, and I think that will change with with Keiter coming in and talk of Leon's captain also coming to plays that number ten role. I think we we certainly lacked something in midfield. I'd say uh, last night we got to the Champions League. Uh, final with that midfield three of Wijnaldum, Milner and Henderson, they've been absolutely superb. But the workaholics, and I think just last night, the mid, uh, class of Real Madrid, in the centre midfield, Cruz and uh, Modric told really we didn't have a player who couldn't match them on the ball. So I think it be important that we, we bring uh, a couple of bodies into that position. I'm sure that's what the manager would love to do. What
3: about Klopp, Jamie? How does he stop this uh, experience from colouring the start of next season? How, how does he get his players to forget about it?
1: Oh no, they'll be fine because I think by the time the next season comes around I think players can look back with pride in what they've done Liverpool have been brilliant in the Champions League I think Liverpool have been the best team in the Champions League in terms of performance goals scored most exciting team Raymond did is just the serial winners who know how to win without performing really that well in the uh, the games going up to the final I think they performed a lot better last night than we saw against you know, Bayern Munich and Juventus and Paris Saint-Germain but no I think by the time the season comes back I think they'll be pride and 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 admiration for themselves of what they've achieved. I think it'll be very painful right now, and it will be for the next few weeks, but you can't, uh, when you look at the bigger picture, in a few weeks, a couple of months' time, I think those Liverpool players should be really proud of what they've done, and I'm certainly, uh, well, I'm certainly one of them, one of the supporters, they're very proud of what they've achieved this season.
3: What about Carrius, Jamie? Can he, can he continue in goal, especially as number one for Liverpool after Saturday night?
1: Well, uh, it, it, may, it may be difficult. I mean, I've, I've said for a long time, I can't change my opinion, no matter what happens tonight, I mean, wouldn't have changed my opinion uh, on Liverpool's need for a goalkeeper. I think I've said that uh, for a long time. Now, whether one game does change the, the staff's mind, whether they were going to stick with what they had, I'm not too sure. But uh, there will be a lot of sort of eyes on him, uh, and it's how he deals with that. He's only a young man, and I really, I really, really do feel for him. People might say, "Oh, you know, I've been critical of him in the past," but i have seen same high rollers. Uh, in the media, that's your job time to praise or be critical of certain people but I wouldn't be critical after last night because I've, I've been a footballer myself we've all had bad nights and bad games that you want to forget and just unfortunately for him this has coming the biggest game of his life, the biggest game in club football and that's why I think every footballer out there, maybe not all supporters because that's part of the modern game where they, they take the making out and do different things but I think all footballers will have a huge sympathy with him because as I said we've all had that one. There was a bad night in our careers, or a couple over your career, and I'm just devastated. For, you know, for the lad, such a young age, that uh, it's coming the biggest game of his life.
2: So we all know that you, know, you have to perhaps uh, improve certain areas of, of the first team. But what about squad depth? What about the fact that Klopp didn't really have anyone on the bench that he could turn to in the same way that obviously Zinedine Zidane had such an array of talent that he can count upon? Is it just not about buying necessarily stars, but really good players that can offer an alternative as well? Yes, I mean
1: Liverpool did have a lot of injury problems towards the end of the season. We should say that also. But Liverpool are never going to be able to compete with Real Madrid in terms of buying players and squad players and players coming off the bench. That that will never happen, no matter what uh, Jürgen Klopp does. They're, they're on a sort of different level in terms of bringing players in and quality. Uh, but yet, there's no doubt that Liverpool will have to strengthen, and similarly in the front three positions. I mean, the front three are, are absolutely marvellous, but the backup up if one of those were injured or maybe not playing too well or you wanted to the rest, there isn't really enough quality there. I mean, there's plenty of midfield players, all probably too similar. So that's why I think a replacement for Coutinho has to come in tighter or will have something different. That's, that's not there. But yes, I think it's more about actual quality than just bringing numbers in now. I think we're at that stage where Liverpool are very close to being a special team. And I think it's just two it or three additions to that first eleven with maybe a couple of other additions to the squad that could make a huge difference.
2: So are you optimistic for next season that they could do something special in Europe and domestically?
1: oh yes without a doubt I mean back in the Champions League you'd have to expect Liverpool could qualify from the group stage again and then you have knock and the knockout ties and the great European Knights at Anfield so that's a huge advantage for Liverpool so they'll, they'll always have a good run in the Champions League I would believe because of the Anfield factor uh, and everyone's saying who's going to be the closest challenger to Manchester City some people saying Liverpool I was saying it wouldn't be you not know, going Manchester United uh, out of that equation they'll also but I think uh, next season these teams have to improve, Liverpool and Man United, but also Man City have to come back to the park. Because if Man City do what they did again this season, it's basically impossible to to catch someone like that. Because I mean what they did this season was was remarkable.
3: You were there in Kiev, Jamie. What did you spot from your position that might not have been obvious on TV?
1: When Salah went off, the, the affected team to have on, also the supporters and the crowd. I think and the players. I think the belief went. Really, and we just seem to drop off, and we've been really aggressive in the first 15 20 minutes, done really well. And then, as soon as uh, Sarah went off, I just seem we just seemed to drop a little bit deeper, become a little bit more passive. and I don't know if we felt sorry for ourselves a little bit because Sarah had gone off. Uh, I think it was a big thing to get to half time at nil nil. I thought that you know Jurgen could sort of steer the players up again, you know, let's try and do this for, for Old Salah uh, type of thing,
2: but it wasn't meant to be. Do you think that had Salah stayed on, that you could have won it?
1: Oh, I think so. I think Liverpool started really well. Uh, and I think with Salah going off, the goals he gets, I just think the belief uh, went out of people really thinking, OK, how, how are you going to get that goal? Who's going to be that, that match? It? And also the lack of taste then in Liverpool's front three. Just had Mane then, who could good running behind. The big difference when you have players on either side who can be penetrated.
3: Finally, Jamie, what was it like for you being a former Liverpool player watching your team in a European final and not being involved on the pitch?
1: Well, it was brilliant to go with my dad and his son or, or my mates and you know, see the other side of it and Liverpool, the team, I'm a supporter now and they've given me a brilliant ride, some great memories with my me. son going home and away in Europe this season and just unfortunately couldn't make a difference in the uh, the final so it just devastates really to me. Son and all the young kids were there and read and it was, you know, their time to see Liverpool win a European Cup. They've heard probably so many stories over the years of the you know, dads and granddads so was just devastated for the supporters, really, more than anything.
3: Next year, Jamie, next year. We look forward to speaking to you during the World Cup. Yeah, thanks a so lot. Let's look ahead now to next season, Mina. Who do you think will be the biggest challenges to Real Madrid in the Champions League? Surely, I can't do four in a row.
2: <laughs> I don't know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I was gonna be really miserable for football if they keep winning this. I'm Not miserable if you're a fan of theirs, but they didn't even seem that bothered that they were. The <laughs> they were players. like, oh, just another trophy, you know. Obviously, it's always the same old suspects. I can't see that changing. If I'm really honest, you know, it's always going to be your Bayerns, your your Barcelona's, your Juve's Really, I would say that those three are the biggest challenges. I don't know about the Premier League sides, you know. I, I don't, I know this is going to sound crazy because obviously he's done tremendous work with Barcelona, but I'm not sure I trust Pep in Europe. Like, during his time at Bayern, the, the amount of away games that he's lost has made me think that I'm not entirely sure that his side are cut out for the grind and the, the sometimes what is required to win a Champions League match. You know, the, the luck involved or the defensive madness that you may need at one point or another. So I would I don't know who I would pick. Liverpool again are probably the best shot at it from the Premier League, but otherwise it's gonna be those those big three. Do you think we'll
3: ever see a Porto situation again, a real underdog, or is this Champions League now just for the bigger boys?
2: Well, it really is the luck of the draw to be honest like we were talking about this I was asked uh, I was asked if Real Madrid deserved their place in the final I was like well considering they've knocked out every big champion along the way then, well, how, how can you not say that but why was the same question not asked of Liverpool who had a reasonably easy way to the final never faced a, a European giant of a pedigree who's won this before so you never know like perhaps listen if Leicester City can win that many games and lift the Premier League title over teams like Chelsea and And Spurs, then absolutely I think that there can be a special moment in the Champions League. It really is about the luck, isn't it? Luck of the draw, that one moment, perhaps you get a player sent off from the the opposing team or an injury happens. I think it can, it's probably not going to be Porto.
3: (laughs) All eyes on the World Cup now I suppose. What can you tell us, Mina about the expectations from around Europe at the moment? Which countries are most confident going into the World Cup?
2: So many. I think really Brazil is the only one outside of Europe that has uh, every reason to feel confident they have a tremendous team. I don't even think Argentina look like they're capable of it. But I would say probably the best is Spain and then closely followed by Germany and then France. France has an issue with Didier Deschamps. I don't think he has the exact right balance or he's not yet achieved tactical perfection so that everyone feels comfortable with the right schemes and things but if you look at Germany they have unity they have an understanding they've obviously got the experience they've won it before and they have a coach that really believes in them and understands them Uh, but Spain have the most talent and they're just doing tremendous work sometimes it does seem like they do, do go back to the old way of just having possession for the sake of it not necessarily turning all of that into goals but they keep updating that team and they keep doing something special. So my money's on either them really or Brazil.
3: Who's your dark horse? Who do you fancy to perhaps reach the quarterfinals who we might not expect?
2: Well, would have been nice if it was Egypt. I don't know anymore. <laughs> In all honesty, I feel like. I think Croatia has a spectacular squad. But for some reason, I'm not entirely confident. Obviously, I'm not entirely confident in their coach. He doesn't look like he has much of an authority over that team. Um, Belgium, I'm never going to be confident of Roberto Martinez. I'm not sure about them. I don't Did think they cup
3: record, Roberto <laughs> Martinez. <has. One laughs> so, he so so your pick. Oh, no, absolutely not. No, I don't think you can even have Belgium as a dark horse anymore. your dark then? I quite like South Korea, but I think that is mainly just because I'm deeply I said in I love. thought
2: Japan would be better than South Korea. That's our bet going on as to who's going to do better, Japan okay. or South Korea.
3: Well, I might buy the Japan shirt because it really is <laughs> a so thing of beauty. I'm definitely allowed one football shirt for each tournament. That's the
2: Maybe it's Panama.
3: Oh, it's going to be too tough to come by, but I love, I love that Panama's nickname is the Canal Men. It's just <laughs> absolutely gorgeous. Let's end on a negative, Mina, in, uh, in great total football style. Who do you think of the World Cup is going to have an absolute shocker and go out early, unexpectedly?
2: Unexpectedly? Yeah, England we're, we're expe- no, absolutely not. England's a <laughs> England,
3: uh, uh, void in that, uh, for the answer.
2: Listen, the I wouldn't be surprised if it's France. I, I don't know what it is about them because they are either brilliant or they capitulate. So we have no idea what's going to happen. I, I I just don't have confidence in Didier Deschamps. I love him. I, I think that he's, you know, obviously he played for my team. I'm, I'm a big fan of his, but at the same time, I don't trust that team. And you never know whether they're just going to be exquisite or whether it's just all going to fall apart and there's going to be infighting or they're not going to find the right balance and they're just not going to get the goals they need.
3: Definitely going to be someone very, very sad though, isn't it? That's the main thing about the World Cup. <laughs> Is that
2: what you're looking forward to? National <laughs> sadness for an unsuspecting <laughs> country. National sadness. I feel like that's all you're watching it for now.
3: Well, there'll be some good goals. You think so? Backing backing goals.
2: Who's well, who's your who's, Who do you think will win? I think Oh imagine Argentina get knocked down. I I don't I don't hate Portugal.
3: I think that I really believe in Ronaldo as a human being. And yeah. I I don't I don't think teams retain the World Cup. I am sort of ruling out Germany for that reason. I think it's really tough to win it from uh, for a South American team to win it in Europe. It's never happened before. Spain, I think there's a tournament DNA thing going on with them at the moment. Where the last two tournaments they've been, they, they weren't much, were there Euro 2016 no. and obviously pretty disastrous in 2014. So process of elimination. I just think there might be a really strange uh, Ronaldo career capping moment this summer. But
2: um, Him, Andre Silva and Pepe at the back, I reckon it's a good team.
3: Mm, they're not awful.
2: I like that everything that you're saying about it is negative. I don't hate them, they're not awful. <laughs> There's not been one positive affirmation we're, get, we're getting
3: into total psychotherapy here, it's a very different <laughs> podcast. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in
0: association with Lion Trust. Specialist investors who help you head towards your financial goals. Independent thinkers who have the courage of their convictions to make investment decisions. Remember, investments can fall as well as rise.
3: Unai Emery was formally unveiled as Arsenal's new manager last week, and our assistant sports news editor, Julian Bennett, was keeping a keen eye on proceedings as he is an Arsenal supporter. Jules, on the evidence of your first sight of Emery, what sort of manager do you think he's going to be for Arsenal?
0: I think he's going to be organised, disciplined, very different to Arsene Wenger, which seems, to be perfectly honest, the uh, The main thing that they were looking for, a clean break, it, this this definitely is, which certainly is something in Emery's favour as they try and move on after 22 years. He's managed equivalent clubs in Spain uh, with, with great success, certainly in the Europa League, uh, and I think it seems a, a very positive appointment.
3: We're very fond on the sports desk of working out what the in-tray is going to be for any new manager. What's going to be at the very top of Emery's to-do list?
0: Work out how this club operates now, I think. It's a club that's been built in Wenger's image for so long, but over the last year, there's been a, a revolution behind the scenes led by even Ghazida as the chief executive. You've now got Raoul Lehi, who is the uh, the director of football and all but name, and Sven Mislintat, who, who organised the transfers. There's a lot of issues in how that club is run and where Emery fits in. He's now head coach rather than manager, and he needs to work out the squad and what he needs to do with it. Uh Primarily, there are contracts that need to be sorted. Aaron Ramsey's future is very much up in the air, and he needs to buy some defenders.
3: Is there a specific bit of defence which looks particularly weak for Arsenal? Uh, the centre backs
0: look extremely weak. Laurent uh Achilles uh, issue will keep him out for a long time.
3: It's literally his Achilles. It's heel.
0: literally his Achilles heel. Um, squadron Mustafi. Uh, let's just say he hasn't seemed like a thirty-five million pound uh, centre back since he joined Arsenal. And behind that, you've got. Uh, Chambers and, and holding young, talented players who could do with progressing. And then uh, Mavropanos a young, a young Greek defender who played about three games and became a cult hero at the end of last season. It's not enough, you would think, to sustain a challenge for a top four spot. It needs serious overhaul.
3: Very diplomatically said on Mustafi. A little bit of concern about Emery's ability to speak English. How did it seem in his first presser? And uh, especially in comparison with other managers who've come to England and had to learn on the job.
0: Well, it seemed it was a lot better than people were expecting. I mean, not many people thought that he was going to do that press conference in English. And he did. Uh, he got his message across and you would assume that it will improve quite quickly. He speaks a number of languages and uh, and his English, like I say, it, was, it wasn't too bad. Uh it's not the same as, uh, as Arsene Wenger coming in and speaking in sort of Wengerese uh, from his very first day or, or Jurgen Klopp with his very specific take on English, if you like. But, I mean, it will get better. And also, it's a very cosmopolitan dressing room now. It doesn't mean that you have to speak English perfectly to get your message over to the players.
3: Yes, yeah, certainly didn't seem to do Pochettino any problems well, exactly. Southampton when he was speaking through an interpreter for most of his uh, first year in charge. No, there.
0: exactly. I mean, the way that the Premier Premier League is now, it is possibly more important that you speak those languages. I mean, uh, there's always that story of uh, Arsene Wenger got Meza. To sign because he went and spoke to him in German, and the same with Sanchez when he spoke to him in Spanish. I mean, that is what you need to do as a manager nowadays. You need a number of languages.
3: And what about what sort of manager Emery is going to be to cover for us? We we must always think of the media. They're they're, they're at the forefront of everyone's mindset. Do you think he's going to provide us with good quotes? Is he going to be a good fun manager to have?
0: Well, I think it will take a little bit of time until his his English does improve and he can really get his point across perfectly. It won't be the same as Wenger. I mean, whenever you went to an Arsene Wenger press conference, you came away feeling like you'd learnt something. The man, the man was one of the most intelligent people that I've I've ever met or ever been in the same room as, if I could even claim I've met him by being in his press conferences. Emery, we don't know, to be perfectly honest. And he seems much more, as I say, disciplined, and he will have a message that he will want to transmit. But I don't think it will be the sort of wide-ranging views on every topic under the sun
3: that you used to get from Wenger. How weird is it going to be for journalists going to London Colony and not seeing Wenger there?
0: I still think he's going to be there on the first day of next season. Everyone's going to turn up at the Emirates for the first game. Wenger's going to stride out and no one's even going to bat an eyelid. He's going to be like, of course he's still here. Uh, I I can't imagine or remember what Arsenal was like before Wenger and what it will be like now that he's no longer there. 22 years is an inordinate amount of time. I have no idea. It's going to be one of the strangest things imaginable. I don't know how Manchester United fans found it, but for Arsenal fans, no one quite knows how this is going to be.
3: If you remember, it was it was John Hartson. You had John Hartson. That was the major difference.
0: Yes, it was a little bit different going from John Hartson to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and, and Lacazette. Things have changed somewhat in 22 years.
3: Thanks very much for your summary, Jules. Thanks. time for your hero of the week and we are nominating an entire lovely facebook group today called kiev free couch this group was set up by residents of the ukrainian capital who had enough space to offer a place for visiting supporters to stay during the champions league final and all for free a wonderful act of mass generosity and proof that there's so much more to social media than abuse death threats and pictures of cats mina what's the best hospitality you have experienced at a football match
2: This was a difficult one, I guess, because, I mean, you know, you go to so many different countries, but I make it fairly obvious who I support and who I like. But I have to say, I actually think it's Fulham. Oh, wow. Craven Cottage was probably the nicest stadium, the nicest set of fans that I'd ever met, and the only one I go back to all the time. And I think that... I remember there was a famous Europa League game between the two. I'm sure you remember that, Juventus and Fulham. And uh, Juventus were (laughs) battered. And uh, they just all, they came next to me and they were like, are you all right? You know, do you need anything? We all went for a drink afterwards. And they're like, so what do you think is going to take Juve to get back in there? Like, to to be a force again? And I was like, we're here to celebrate you. You guys have just done something really amazing, like the achievement. And it was like they were just all really sad to discuss it in front of me you know and for me I was like oh, I love you guys
3: how, how do you think the politeness of Fulham will get on in next season's Premier League they of course won the playoff final on Saturday mm. is it going to be a valuable addition do you think to next year's top flight
2: good guys finish last <laughs> um, I hope they do really well obviously I'm a huge fan of them now
3: as a QPR fan I obviously <laughs> do hope they finish last That's all from this week's Total Football. We'll be back with you next Friday, the 1st of June, with our live special with Jeff Hurst. You can, as ever, contact me on Twitter. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. And don't forget to subscribe to Total Football via Apple Podcasts or your internet source of preference. Our theme tune is by Polvo. Go to mergerecords.com to explore their back catalogue. Thanks to Abby Patterson on the buttons, and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon.
0: The Telegraph Total Football Podcast, in association with Lion Trust, specialist fund managers.
3: If you're enjoying being part of the Telegraph Sport Podcasting family, then do make sure to download and listen to Brian Moore's Full Contact. It's the most opinionated rugby podcast, as every week, Brian and a host of big names from the world of oval balls analyse the biggest and most controversial moments from the weekend's rugby. Your Tuesday commutes will never be the same again, if you like rugby.